0: best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever as long as you are still alive so that's the best thing. I'm very happy. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Talk and Golf History podcast, the show that tries to bring the past into the present and work out what it might all mean for the future. I'm Rod Murray. good to have your company as we turn the spotlight on you, the listener. This week, One of the main ideas behind starting this podcast was education, both our own and yours, the listening audience. Now, one of the best ways to do that is to find out just what it is that you want to know. So every now and then, the plan is to have an episode just like this one, where rather than dig into a topic we've come up with, we take your questions and try to answer them. So I'll start by saying a big thank you to all who submitted a question. And apologies in advance to anybody whose query we don't get to, and that is bound to happen because once you start talking about golf and history, you just go down the rabbit hole. Now, for future episodes like this, and, in fact, for a week-to-week uh, proposition as well. The best way to send a question to the Talking Golf History podcast is via Twitter. And this is the really important part, folks. Use the TG History hashtag. Even if you tweet myself or kind of direct, please remember to do that because the way this works is that prior to the episode, we search for the hashtag. If you haven't used it, it's possible we might miss your question. If you sent it three weeks ago, I may well have forgotten that you sent it to me. So use the hashtag. Guaranteed that I'll always find it. Uh, otherwise, as I said, it gets lost in the daily traffic. Use the hashtag, we can track it down. No problem. For those who may not be on Twitter, we also have an email address. That's history at talkinggolf.com. There'll be a link to that in the show notes, or I'm guessing you can also post in the Facebook group, which Connor runs, but I'd better not commit to that without asking you first. Connor, welcome. Good to have you aboard. Can people ask questions in the Society of Golf Historians Facebook group? If so, how do they go about it? And while you're at it, tell the people where they can find you on Twitter as well.
1: You bet, Rod, and uh, hello everybody out there in podcast land. Thank you for listening. Uh, by the way, you can reach us all at uh, at Rod underscore Mori or at S Historians, both on Twitter mm-hmm. or our Facebook page, the Society of Golf Historians, which is a private page. You just asked to be invited. I allow you in because, quite frankly, we need more of you.
0: Have and you said no to anybody copy? ever? Oh, that's a good question.
1: Um, I think my son tried to join. <laughs>
0: that's I the last thing like, you oh, want. <laughs> the
1: last thing we need is a ten-year-old just saying, "My dad sucks."
0: Yeah, that's so, exactly right. No, what happened last week? That's on. history. Yeah, fair enough. Sorry, mate, I interrupted yeah. you there. Uh, yes, no, Society that's all of, right. of yeah? the strange. Right. That's a closed group. I'm, I'm not a Facebook guy, as you know. So, how does that work? You, you ask to be let in, and then you're a part of it, and you can post and read and do all those other things.
1: Yes, exactly. And and that's the one thing I know. There's we have I think just about a thousand people on there. And please join. Uh, the one thing I always recommend of people is, listen, I post a lot. Obviously, if you follow me on Twitter, I don't know how many things I post a day. I've only been on Twitter for, I want to say, eight months. Mm-hmm. And I have – I looked the other day. I had 5,500 tweets. Yeah,
0: relentless so is the imagine, word. you can imagine – you
1: do bre- the math. That's you a tweet. Is that a t- that
0: is that a tweet for each follower, Connor? Have they got their own individual tweet? That would be yeah, about – got about five and a half, wouldn't so, yeah, it Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm
1: right close. around – 5,500 followers. Uh, so man. there you go. Each one of you gets a special There's tweet.
0: their own tweet. Now, um, folks, if you if you think that's bad, imagine if Connor had your mobile number and could text you. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> a couple <laughs> people.
0: Think about <laughs> think my that. My friends would say. Yeah, that's right. My
1: friends would agree with that.
0: I'm yeah, switching to, to a Samsung, things. so I don't have any. I don't have iMessage anymore. <laughs> That'll save me. I yeah. uh, just, of course, well, sorry. You, you were know, in the middle of telling people how to get in no, touch. No, with no, us.
1: and that's fine. That's fine. I, I was just saying specifically on the Facebook page is a great way. I try to invite people as much as possible. This isn't my page. It's our page. Our page. So yeah. if you have something to say, if you have a question, if you have great information, if you want me to dig into the story of your country club, um, that's a great way to go about it. Obviously, you can hit us both up on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to do it. I turn things around pretty good, pretty yeah. quick. I'm yeah. fairly good at the research part. Yeah.
0: Connor, Connor's the historian, I'm the host. I'm interested, but I don't pretend to know so much. I think the other important thing, Connor, is don't be afraid to disagree. Don't be rude, but disagreement and discussion all right. is all important, isn't it? Because a lot of this stuff's contentious stuff in history. Some of, some of it we can't know. I think our majors debate show episode that we did proved that. I mean, if you really didn't want to acknowledge any of the majors in the modern era as majors, you don't have to do. No one can force you to, so none of this stuff's hard and fast. So feel free, as long as you're civil and intelligent, uh, I'm sure that, well, certainly I'm open on Twitter and I'm sure the Facebook group is open to uh, disagreement and discussion because that's what promotes interest is just what we're trying to do and also keep it fun, people, fun. History's supposed to be fun. It's not the yeah. dry thing that uh, that people think it is. Now, before we come to the listener questions today, Connor, and this one kind of ties into the listener questions, we've had a month or so to think about it and I guess there was a real point of discussion immediately after the Masters greatest comeback in sport, greatest victory, of all those sorts of things, because what Tiger achieved there was pretty special. I wanted to have a couple of weeks to sort of ruminate on that and let it percolate a bit and get some thoughts. So I wanted to get your input on that first, and then we'll go to the listener questions, some of which tie into that. So first things first, is Tiger's win at the Masters the greatest comeback in sport and slash or golf?
1: Wow. Um. Let's keep it to golf, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's a very broad statement sure um and i think if you're I think most people would say if you're going to go compare you're going to be looking at Ben hogan. I uh-huh. think that's the the greatest comparison uh both uh injured severely, obviously, both came back, both won majors uh hogan of course winning multiple majors after uh his car accident Is it the greatest ever uh tough one, so i'm going to give you um. I'm going to give you my thoughts and this will probably get some pushback a little bit. Good. But that's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm going to say tigers comeback to me is more substantial than Ben Hogan's and that is probably fairly controversial. So I'll give you a little bit of tidbit of how I feel about it. If you disagree, totally respect that. I totally, I mean, people love Ben Hogan. People love tiger. I think you can go either way on this one. Um, but if we look back, uh, Ben Hogan was obviously in a terrible car accident with a bus, uh, saved his wife by leaping over her, and uh, the, you know and we've all seen the photos of what oh, that bus did to his car. Terrifying.
0: I mean, still, still to this it's, day, amazing, is terrifying, terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. If he does not move to protect his wife, we mm-hmm. don't have Ben Hogan after mm-hmm. that point. There's zero die- – I mean, it crushed it. Um, it crushed his pelvis, broke his pelvis – I believe he had cracked ribs, went to the hospital. Um, The day after seeing Hogan in the hospital, his doctor came out and basically assured the golfing world that he would be golfing in months. So that's the first thing you need to realize is the car accident itself, uh, though broken bones, there was zero doubt he was coming back. So if you just took that snapshot, you're like, okay, no big deal. Our hero's coming back. Um, However... If you fast forward, I believe it was a month, could have been two, uh, he had a recovery of say two months prior for the the fracture in his hip, uh, pelvis, sorry. And what happened is he developed uh, blood clots in his leg. And the blood clots were quite severe and hospitalized him for some time. And he never really overcame it, Um, which is why even years or months after he's bandaging his legs to play in the US Open, to play in the Open Championship, to play in the Masters. Uh, but, I'd say the caveat, and it is only a caveat and only my opinion, Hogan was back playing golf under a year uh, and winning. Uh, as a matter of fact, his first tournament in the LA Open, uh, I believe he lost to Sam Snead, but it was a, uh, all the way down to the wire. He might have gone into a playoff as well. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really hamper his ability to win again. It definitely it put him on the sideline. He had issues walking, zero doubt. Uh, but now let's get to Tiger Woods. So uh, I'm looking right now at the list. This was put on by uh, PGA.com, uh, published March 5th, 2019, and it is a full history of Tiger Woods injuries. Oh, yeah. So it goes back.
0: It goes back. So <laughs> Have we got time for I'll this? I'll try to
1: make this. Uh, we might not. I don't know. It's a long list, but starts back December 1994. He's not even a pro. He has surgery on his left knee to remove two benign t- tumors and scar tissue. Fast forward to 2002 after Beth Page. He has surgery on the left knee to remove fluid inside and outside uh, the ACL and remove a benign cyst under the left knee. He misses the season opener in 2003. Fast forward four years. He ruptures his ACL in his left knee while running on a golf course uh, and yet still wins five of his last six tournaments he plays, including the PGA Championship for his 13th major. April of 2008, two days after the Masters, he has arthroscopic surgery on his left knee again to repair cartilage damage. May 2008, he's advised before the U.S. Open that he has two stress fractures in his left tibia and should rest six weeks. Three of those weeks should be on crutches. Instead, of course, he plays golf, and we saw the pain he was in in the U.S. Open, and we didn't know at the time what it was. Uh, Eight days after the U.S. Open, he has surgery to repair his ACL uh, in his left knee, using a tendon from his right thigh. Additionally, he has cartilage damage that needs to be repaired and misses the rest of the season and does not return until the match play championship at the end of February 2009. Uh, then we get into December 2008. He injures his Achilles tendon again in his right leg while running. Uh, he's hospitalized in 2009 for the incident with his wife, Elan. Uh, Funnily enough, uh, an, with-
0: another car accident, yeah. just like Hogan. That was <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> self-induced, self-induced yeah. for sure. Um, he withdraws for his final round of the Players Championship in 2010, citing a bulging disc. Uh, is later said to have a neck issue uh, that makes t- tingling down the whole right side, um, and it makes it harder for his return to the Masters uh, in 2011. He injures his left Achilles, left Achilles tendon uh, from an awkward stance below the Eisenhower tree on the 17th. Um, another surgery, another surgery. I mean, I'm just kind of fast-forwarding here because I'm not even halfway through the list, it seems. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, it all his fell back is so bad. I think we're a year and a half from... Um, I guess, well, no, it was about two years ago. Two years from the, surgery. At the Masters. Mm. Yeah, at the Masters uh, tournament, he was telling people he'd never play again. Oh, I'm done. And he said. Was, I'm done. Yeah, he couldn't walk for more than an hour with, without being in a, you know, laying down position from the pain. Then has a miraculous surgery to fuse the discs, of which we don't even know if you're going to be able to play golf after that due to limited mobility. And his miraculous recovery starts uh, last year and obviously he wins uh, the uh, FedEx Cup ch- uh, Finals, and then, of course, this year's Masters. So, the two
0: championships. It's compelling, isn't it? It's a compelling cast. Yeah, it, yeah. it,
1: it is in a, it's a laundry list of injuries, uh, specifically after 2008, yeah. and the injuries that stack up after that, after basically giving up the idea of playing golf. Do you remember that video of him hitting balls in front of the the kids and he couldn't clear the water on like a hundred yard shot. Oh,
0: yeah, it was horrendous. Do
1: you remember that? Oh,
0: remember I, mean, it. I, I, I had, just, had to publish it and done. I felt awful at the time.
1: Yeah, i um, doing it. And, you know, and, and to this point, I, I think it's extremely unfair. And I brought this up on Twitter after Tiger wins 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 the Masters. There were a lot of people that went after the um, Alan Shipnicks and the um, Brandel Chamblees for saying, you know, he was done. Listen, folks, Tiger was done. Mm. <laughs> I
0: mean. He, he said he was done. thought he was done. Yeah, sure.
1: Um, I, I think it's extremely unfair to come back and say, you know, you guys were wrong. I knew it all along. I don't think anybody knew it. And specifically, Tiger Woods didn't know it. Yeah,
0: I think so- Chamblee handled that best. And he said, I've never been so happy to be wrong. What a phenomenal story. And he's right, right about that. Right. I, I thought he was done, too. And I I wasn't a quitter until he said he was done. I had my doubts. To me, Connor, I think the added ingredient... And, and I can't compare the two, and I kind of feel like, why would you compare the two? Two extraordinary yeah, comebacks, yeah. and and you diminish both by trying to compare them. Both are amazing, but I guess, the, it, and it's not overlooked, but it kind of is, is that whole chipping yips incident in oh, between gosh, the yeah. the tiger had a, yeah. to, to to come back from that alone is remarkable. Uh, I can't regret, but but the confidence hit that he, I'm not sure Hogan ever lost his confidence. He might have lost. He might have at some point thought that he, he wasn't able to do it because of the physical pain, but I don't. Not sure that he lost his. Woods lost his colleague. As you said, he couldn't hit the ball across a 100 yard carry um, and, was, yeah. and was lambasted in the media again for that, having been through everything that happened in 09 and 10, self induced, we know that, but he still went through it. The humiliation of all of that to then later on be going through the same for his golf. At least that other stuff wasn't golf. Then he he couldn't carry the water with a 100-yard shot. So to me, that's... I mean, there's two things you can't play this game without, a ball and confidence. So to come back from a complete loss of confidence, uh, I think in itself is pretty amazing. And then to win at Augusta National, I mean, goodness me, if you want to talk about a place where the short game, yips are going to show up. If they're going to show up yep. anywhere, those tight lies and those big, slopey greens, that will bring it out uh, for sure. So, uh, I look, I, You know,
1: Rod, uh, yeah. Rod, let me just interrupt. I, I think, so there's a couple things. So, I, I thought at one point last year, he was going to win majors again. I mean, when I saw the swing, I thought he was coming back. The Masters was not one of them I would have given him. Oh, really? I thought he was done.
0: It's the only one I I thought he might have a chance at was the Masters. It's the Open. Nah. His game
1: is made for the Open. Mm. I mean, he Mm. is an Open – he should have – you know, he should tie. He should have tied, but he should tie – and I don't think it's going to happen now, but he should have tied Harry Varden's six Open championships. He is a shot maker. He has every shot in the bag, and that to me says – Open Championship mm. through and through. And to I, me that he has, I believe he has three. Um, Hoylake, that's right. St. Andrews times two.
0: Yeah, Hoylake yeah. and St. Andrews times two. Um,
1: I, I, it's shocking he only has three, yeah. uh, to be honest with you, because I really thought he would be – I thought he'd be in the five crowd.
0: I always thought, I, thought six I always thought the Masters because it's not a full-field event. There are yeah. 30 or 40 players in that field already who can't win, so he's only playing against 50, 60 blokes. Now, admittedly, they're 50, 60 very good players, but you're not going to get that guy who has a career week. and all of those players at that level are capable of that career week. All of their golf, all of them, their golf yeah. is good enough at its best. To win uh, a major So so the Masters And just his previous success there It's a course that clearly really fits his eye And his imagination He sees things there And just the the level of success that he's had there Um, I always thought the Masters was his best chance And I still do, I think I'm not sure if you will get to the A, and It doesn't really matter in a whole lot of ways. But I, I no, do think no. the Masters is still going forward. He's still his best chance every year at a majors. He was always going to come at the Masters, and mainly because of that limited field. Um, I think that uh, I that, See, that really my take
1: nice on me. him, this is, I guess, why I gave up on him winning the Masters. So Tiger Woods from, I don't know, 1997 to 2008 was probably the greatest let's just say one of the greatest putters that ever lived. Mm-hmm. And I, had, I have a theory, I, and I, you know, it's just a theory. There's no real fact to it. But um, I, I saw an interview with Tiger, uh, and it was after his surgeries in 2008, after the U.S. Open, and he had taken all that time off, and someone had asked him had he been practicing his putting during that time because he couldn't take a full swing. And he said, no, I haven't touched the club. And there was that, I mean, it was six months, seven months, eight months, whatever that was without putting. And I think if you looked at his statistics from coming back, he never was quite the putter he was since, since that U.S. Open. And He's he's been spotty at best, not even streaky, just spotty. And even mm-hmm. in this Masters,
0: yeah, he didn't I putt mean, it. Didn't putt the it's dots really up. amazing. If he'd putted like he did in '97, he'd have won it by seven football. or eight or ten.
1: It would yeah. have been insane. It's yeah. so true. But he's so such that,
0: he's such a good iron player, and that re- that's the real yeah. key at Augusta. You've got a lag might, putt. well, he might and be you, the
1: greatest of all time.
0: That's right. You need to hit it in those six-foot boxes that give you chances to make birdies, and he's the best at that. And the years that Speeth won, Spieth putts the dots off it, the year that he won as well. But during that period where Speeth putted amazing, that really hid some extraordinary ball striking. He was probably the best iron player on tour for a couple of years there, Speeth. I'm pretty sure the statistics back that up around that time. Uh, and that part of his game would get overlooked because he would make those outrageous 20-25 footers in – Bunches that were just unfeasible. But anyway, we're getting away from the point. Um, so I think, are we in agreement that really let's just not compare? It doesn't do anything for yeah. either of those. And let's just enjoy both. Um, They're both miraculous. And let's. Uh, this is a theory I heard the other day, which I think is interesting. It's quite possible that the two greatest comebacks in sport both belong to golf. I think you could make that case. Yeah. I don't know about yeah. all sports, <laughs> don't pretend to, but they are two pretty unbelievable performances to come back from where those who were Hogan and Woods this kind of ties Conor into our first listener question let's get on to the listener questions uh, into our first listener question this is from Bill Williams who's been a guest is he still a listener if he's been a guest what's the official can you be a listener if you've been a guest maybe you can
1: I, I think he listens but I think he's just waiting for me to get in trouble again <laughs> to make and a mistake like, so know, he can pounce Masters wasn't a major until 1960 Wait for that moment
0: here's the question Greatest of all time is about legacy, not just wins, in my humble opinion. That's Bill's humble opinion. Who do you think has had the greater impact on the game? Tiger Woods or Arnold Palmer. P.S. deliberately left out Varden, and we know Bill's affection for for Harry Varden, and rightly so. Old Tom and Jones. So He asked that on Twitter a week or so ago. It's a tough one, isn't it? I, I feel like that plays a bit into that comeback thing. I don't think any player has ever been, just because of the nature of the media, has ever been under the scrutiny that Tiger's under, have they? be it Palmer or Hogan or nobody has ever been huge stars in their time. But just the nature of social media means that the scrutiny is that much greater. So I'll let you answer. Who do you reckon? Woods or Palmer? Uh, Oh, let me expand
1: on this question because somebody else asked another question. So someone was asking, you know, who's the goat? Uh, And I broke it down into two categories, influence and by player. performance. Uh So I'm going to avoid, I'll I'll get to to, uh, Bill's question in a second. So, I think, from an influence standpoint, it's a runaway. I mean, I, there's zero debate in my mind. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, the, the greatest goat of all time from a, st- a situation of influence is Old Tom Morris. Right. Okay. And, I mean, it's not, it's not even close. I mean, okay. he is he's the goat of goats from you know being the one of the first uh, spectacular golf course architects that took architecture on. Um, you know, to Ireland, took it to Scotland, took it to England, um, there, that part. He was probably the most famous first superintendent who I, I would like our call with uh, our, our meeting with Keith Cutton, where we were talking about the first man to top grass, uh, dress greens, yeah. to move bunkers, to really change the strategy of how the game is played. And then on top of that, you know, he wins uh, four open championships and, and all those started later in, in his in his years. So I think I have six players in my GOATs. So my GOATs, greatest of all time. I break them down. It's very generational with the exception of one uh, case. So I have old Tom Morris, who's far and away, the GOAT. You have to say Harry Varden next, uh, Mm -hmm. not just because he won six Open championships and one U.S. Open. It helps. But he was really (laughs) – he was essentially the Johnny Appleseed of golf in America. When he came over in 1900 – Golf exploded.
0: It caused a stir, uh, he inspired,
1: didn't it? Folks. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he, he inspired Francis Wemet. He inspired Bobby Jones. He yeah. inspired Walter Hagen, mm-hmm. uh, who are the next two folks in my category. Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen, I treat them kind of as one person because one was an amateur and one was a pro, and what they did together really changed the way and really set the golden age of golf right from say nineteen what fourteen through nineteen thirty. Mm-hmm. They were a dominant force in spreading the game on both continents. Mm-hmm. Then I go into Ar- Arnold Palmer, who brought us into the television age. Um, who is the trusted spokesperson for pretty much everyone? He was the everyday man out there winning, you know, majors. And I put his gift to the game even beyond you know the great Jack Nicklaus, mm-hmm. and then of course Tiger Woods. So those are my six from influence from a player standpoint. Similar six but a little different number one is alan robertson mm-hmm. who, without him we wouldn't have majors today uh he was the greatest player of his generation and taught young uh old tom morris i skip old tom morris instead put his son on this list uh young tom morris who again changed the way we play the game harry varden bobby jones jack nicholas this time mm-hmm. and tiger woods yep so Going back now to Bill's question was who had a bigger influence on the game, Tiger Woods or Arnold Palmer? That's really tough. Uh,
0: They're almost equal. I would say they are equal in so many ways. Equal celebrity, but wouldn't you say in reality that Palmer drew more people to take up the game than Tiger Woods has? I think the statistics bear out that the Woods Woods has drawn people to watch the game, less so to play the game, because I feel like Palmer – I've got nothing to back that up either, but I feel like Palmer drew yeah. people to take up and play the game. In the same way, funnily enough, that Greg Norman did. We've got an entire generation of Australian golfers, professional and amateur, who took up the game because yeah. the Shark strode the world's fairways a little bit Palmer-like um, and was just such yeah, a put, big character.
1: I would say Arnold Palmer, and I think it probably didn't hurt that we had a commander-in-chief that was so popular and a golfer at mm-hmm. that same time, and they were mm-hmm. friends, yep. in uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's where I was going. I think, listen, I I play golf because of Tiger Woods. I, I got into okay. the game really late, right. and he inspired but, me. So I'm actually one of those people yep. who came into the game because of uh, Tiger.
0: And, and Adam, uh, yeah. here's something I thought was just extraordinary. Playing in the final group Sunday with Tiger was Tony Finau, whose only yeah. connection to golf was to see Tiger win the 97 Masters. And from that point, yeah. having had no connection to the game at all, his dad gets him a club from the local tip, and he goes into the garage with his brother. They put a mattress against the wall and start hitting balls. That's an extraordinary impact, undeniable. as well. I want he, him
1: to win so bad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> one day. He's
1: such a nice guy.
0: Oh, what a moment that must by have the been way, for him. Before, before we move
1: on, too, yep. um, I have, I think I've only cried twice watching sports, mm-hmm. and the last time I cried was literally this one, was ah. Tiger Woods winning. Um I, I it wasn't a full out ball, but I, no. I was definitely teary eyed. The other time, and I I'll be honest with you, until two years ago, I couldn't have even brought this up. Uh, Tom Watson oh, losing
0: the Open. Just stop championship it! At the end I said stop it. I know you seem to be I, keep to going. Day. I've told you to stop it. Nobody wants to talk <laughs> about that. Let's just I pretend that, that never that happened. So okay? bad. Um,
1: I wanted that more than anybody on this planet, as much as Tom Watson.
0: On a side note, if you, I might put it in the show notes, but on a side note, we did a State of the Game episode with Matthew Goggin, who played that Sunday with Tom Watson. And he talked about, amongst a whole bunch of other stuff, I asked him about that towards the end of the year, and he talked about – that whole back nine and as it unfolded and where he was standing and as soon as he heard Watson hit it and he thought, ooh, that's pure, you know, <laughs> and all that. It's fan- it's a fantastic listen uh, from one of the really good guys and really thoughtful guys in World Golf, Matt Coggan. So I might put a link to that in the show notes, but go and hunt down that episode of State of the Game because it's well worth it. You've kind of rolled neatly, Connor, into another one of the questions that we've had from Daniel Kilgore on Twitter, Twitter sent this one through, and it's sort of along the same theme. Is golf the toughest sport to compare, prepare players from across generations because of the equipment evolution that isn't as drastic in other sports? Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I suppose you kind of touch on it where you have two categories of influence versus performance. Yeah. Um, what do you reckon about that? I think... Tougher yeah, than other th- sports? Hmm... Th-
1: I think it's equal to baseball. Mm-hmm. I think you could say that the equipment hasn't changed, but you had the uh, the color barrier of Jackie Robinson entering the game. Mm-hmm. So I think baseball is in tr- incredibly hard to compare when you didn't have African American baseball players who were some of the best uh, from the Negro leagues playing in MLB. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Gibson, for instance, the uh, the Babe Ruth of the Negro leads, leagues, was uh, I mean hit something like something like eight hundred home runs. It was something astronomical. I would have loved to see that. So that comparison, I think, is questionable. Um, And you know what? I think once you get into the four major realm, you can make some comparisons. Mm -hmm. And the comparisons are never going to be apples to apples because you do have these equipment uh, questions and changes and evolution. But you can always look at them by their peers. Uh, You can always look at, you know, uh, the big three. And who came out on top? And you can, I think you can look at that and make logical arguments. Now, if you're going to say Jack's the goat because he won 18 majors and he played these folks, it's an argument. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that argument all day yeah. long. I could make the same argument for Tiger Woods. So, yeah. um, I, I, I think you can. I just think you are you you have to take in more in consideration. It's not an apples for apples. Mm-hmm. It's a apple to orange but if you 're looking at oranges to oranges and apples to apples, you can see you know which oranges were better, which apples were better, I suppose, and, and make that comparison uh,
0: I like to kind of flip the process of this question around and ask and, and ask it this way: Does anybody believe yeah. that if Bob Jones were born fifty years later, he wouldn 't have been competitive, and does anybody truly believe that if Tiger Woods was born sixty years earlier? that he wouldn't have been competitive the, the the final ingredient in golf outside of all of the other stuff the putting and the chipping and the driving and the iron yeah. play and is the competitor is the grit Absolutely. to just compete and all of those players in the mind, the that's mind. right and all of those great players share that You know, is Hogan mentally tougher than Woods? I'd be surprised. I put him about equal, you'd have thought, based on what evidence we have. And so that's probably a better way to think about it. The game has definitely changed, and the field's probably become more bunched with equipment in the last 20 years or so. Uh, But there can only be one winner each time, and Tiger just won the Masters, as we just discussed, after all that he's been through. There's a whole field of blokes who hadn't been through any of that, and he beat them all. And he didn't do that with just his golf clubs.
1: I'm going to give you a couple stories from Jack Nicholas. I had dinner with him. This was ten years ago. With Jack, and it was uh, with a with Jack Nicholas. Wow, who paid of his lawyers? And that um, I did not. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> who cares who did that?
1: Yeah, I was sitting at a table of his legal team, and um, gosh, I don't think I can get sued for this, but I'm going to go anyway. Um, <laughs> we'll check with the
0: lawyers, and I might cut it out.
1: <laughs> they were asking the dumbest questions to. If not the greatest golfer of all time, one of them. Okay, so I'm going to go through these questions because I don't—I've th- never told this story. I think in any, any medium, <laughs> which could come back to me, it's always been one-on-one. So I'm going to share this with you. So um, I- I'm going to go through this. So the first lawyer asked Jack. He goes, uh, "Jack, um, who's the greatest uh, golfer of all time?" And I'm just like, I- I kind of like <laughs> "Look at this guy! Like, what?" I'm like. You're his lawyer, man. You're gonna get fired. That's a dumb. <laughs> that's right. If you want to get paid, his table. Right. He's the best. So Jack. And by the way, you'll never hear Jack give this answer. I've, I've listened to these questions for on you know Golf Channel. He doesn't give it like this. So he goes, you know, it's really hard to tell, um, you know, who's the greatest because you know like Tiger Woods is playing with graphite. I played with persimmon. Mm-hmm. You know, Bobby Jones played with hickory shafts. He's like, so it's really hard to make those comparisons, which is going right back to the question you just asked, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, but he goes, I will tell you, I've seen so many of these generations play golf and I can tell you the greatest golf swing I've ever seen. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, stupid lawyer, I am in, <laughs> you know, like that was a bad question, but this is about, it's going to gonna get, get a good
0: answer. In. Yeah. So yeah. I
1: scoot up. I am like in Jack's face, like mouth breathing on him for this answer. And he goes, I've seen Hogan, I've seen Palmer, I didn't see Jones, but I've seen video of Jones, Um, and I'll tell you, the greatest swing I've ever seen was Tiger Woods in 2000, and my mouth hit the floor. I mean, I was shocked, Uh. and there's like this 10-second pause, and then Jack looks at me and he goes... You know, but back in my day, you couldn't watch yourself swing. And I was like, whoa! Zing! comment ever. Sing. Zing. What? And, and, and it gets better. No, no, it gets better. Oh, okay. So lawyer number two asks an equally stupid question. He goes, hey, uh, Jack, um, you in your prime, Tiger in his prime, playing the back nine at Augusta, for the Masters, who wins? And again, I'm like, oh my god! I mean, these are your lawyers. You need to fire these people. <laughs> I mean, that's going through my head. Like, who would ask that question? Like, uh, let me ask questions from now on. So Jack pauses, and then he goes, "Oh, I'd beat him like a drum." <laughs> and i again, I'm he would never say that. And go, I just, no, I'm cool. floored. I'm just floored. And there's this long pause, and then Jack goes, "You know." If you ask Tiger Woods the same question, yep. that's exactly what he would say, that yep. he beat me like a drum. And let cool. me tell you why. He goes, there are very few players of the championship caliber, of the greatest of all time, that think that way. And that's the mindset you have to be. Is yep. I'm going to beat you with my A game. I'm going to beat you with my Z game. Yep. I'm just going to beat you. Yep. And – those two questions, dumbest questions I've ever, asked, I've ever heard asked to an all-time great, but came out of it, two of the greatest answers, because you kind of got into the head of what it's like to be one of the greatest golfers that ever lived.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Tough thing to say. I think Norman talked about this once. He said that there were some weeks where he would turn up and he would look around and think genuinely to himself. I wonder who's going to finish second. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's an amazing space to be. And, yes, there's ego in that and there's arrogance in that, but I can't imagine that you get there, given that all of us commenting on it haven't gotten there. <laughs> I wonder whether that's kind yeah. of what you, you need to be and to understand. But, yes, I, that, that's what complicates, to me, the generational question, is that they're all competitive. It'd be fantastic. what a show they'd put on. It's why I've been pining for the McElroy-Woods showdown at Augusta for the last six or seven yeah. years because…
1: Yeah, or, or, or Mickelson. I mean, we just we uh, never get it. Nah. we never get it
0: yeah mickelson's interesting i don't think of him as that in that same jaw set competitive way he clearly is but he's got a very different phil. demeanor hasn't he i suppose yeah. Um, anyway
1: yeah we would need that phil match up like you know 10 years ago that's really when it would have been the show now it's obviously the youth you know it's i, I thought it was compelling dustin johnson and brooks kepka yeah right there against the masters i yeah. mean yeah. I thought that was
0: unbelievable. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was an interesting, wasn't it? Um want to hear about the US military and course. We'll come to that one later. That's from One Bearded Golfer. That's a, we might not get to that this episode. It's a complicated and interesting question, and you're going to need to do some homework. It's about military golf courses. In fact, I didn't, didn't Wood start at a military base. I'm pretty sure he did, uh, his first course. So we'll, One Bearded Golfer, don't panic. We will get to your question, but it won't be on this episode. We will get to it one day. From BA Barranca on Twitter. Curious what you two think Cy- Cyprus Point would look like if Rainer designed it instead of Dr. McKenzie, which was a possibility at one point. Would it still be top three in the US? If not, would it be the best template design i'm going to withdraw from this question because i've never played a Rayner course i've never played cypress point so my opinion is not worth much i know that you've i'm not sure whether you played cypress point but i know that you know a lot about rainer and have played a bunch of his courses what do you think yeah. this, is, this is this is not a not a new question is it a lot of people have wondered what cypress point m- might look like if rainer had done it instead of mckenzie
1: yeah the second part of that question kind of had me go wow <laughs> i don't remember reading that part Is Um, what was the second part? It was,
0: if not, would it be, be, would it be, would it still be top three in the U S and if not, would it be the best template design?
1: You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm always going to bet on Rainer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I put money down on Rainer. So you have national golf links of America. You have Fisher's Mm -hmm. Island. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have Chicago golf club all within the top 10 to 12 in the country, uh, or in the top 100. um, you know what? I'm betting on Rainer. I would say it would be amazing. I wonder what the 16th and 17th would look like. I wonder if, for instance, the 16th hole, does that become a cape hole? Uh, that could be where you'd have a you move the tee box back and maybe to the left a little bit.
0: Well, McKenzie had to be have, talked it into it, par- didn't he? That wasn't his original yeah, idea. True, but, he, he had to be talked into yeah, it.
1: But you'd so, make it a par four. Yeah and then uh, have a, a you know carry kind of over water, which isn't necessarily a cape, but then have um, the green kind of backing up or forwarding into the water so it's falling off into the water with bunkers around the backside. Mm-hmm. I, I think he would have done a fabulous job with it. And, of course, he was hired to do it before he passed away mm-hmm. way too early. Uh, but I will always bet on Rainer and McDonald. Now, Alistair McKenzie not taking anything away from him. He's got the number three golf course in the world and rightfully so. Uh, I believe I'm going to be playing it this December, so I'll be able to tell you firsthand. I have yet to play it, but I've played the majority of the great uh, McDonald and Rainer courses. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I've also heard that, obviously, there's an urban legend that there's a routing out there that Seth uh-huh. Rainer put together. Yes. And someone recently got a hold of me that told me they – might have something to that effect oh okay so uh, let's do a little i'll do a little rewind i'll, I'll go through my email yeah, and, and see what we can find it, and, um, it would be a surprise if up. there
0: wasn't wouldn't it you would think that that particular yeah. piece of land if, if at any stage it had been mentioned to him the possibility of building a golf course there he would have gone home in the back of an envelope just sketched something out because the excitement you would imagine that's an extraordinary sight so, I'd be surprised if there wasn't yeah. something. Whether somebody's got it, whether it still exists, I don't know, but uh, I'd be surprised or is it
1: Or is it like the Perry Maxwell plans that are in the dump that we heard from oh, them, the Green Jacket don't. auctions?
0: I told. Um, I know. Who I did I to tell go about there. that? I, had to go there. I told somebody about that, and there's the, it was the same stunned so, silence. And you could, over the phone, you could see their face just going, What? What that? I can't. I can't comprehend that. That's terrible. Yes, the Perry Maxwell drawings have got thrown out. Interesting question. And like most really good questions, you'll never get a definitive answer to that one. Just like all the questions we've had so far. But uh, I do like that one. This one's a bit different. This one really is a definitive answer because it's directly for you, Connor. What era of golf do you find most fascinating, and why?
1: Wow. Um, let's see. My favorite favorite era of golf. I'll be very broad and say pre nineteen hundred. I am a lover of all things Long Nose. I think there is a gentility. No, no wonder uh, we get on, Connor.
0: <laughs> I, am yeah, not sm- okay. I am not small in the proboscis department, if I could put it that way. <laughs> I,
1: just, I just love pre-1900 golf. There is a ruggedness with it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk about the golf ball debate. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't hit a gutty ball over 200 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thrown gutty tournaments, uh, the All-American Hickory Open, and our probably our average drive might be, of the long hitters, between 170 and 185 yards. So it changes the way we look at courses. And I'll tell you what is the best part about it, not that I'm pushing people into it, but there is no such thing as par. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you how much the game changes when you are not thinking about some irrelevant score. Mm-hmm. It frees you up in a, in a way I really can't describe to people in just playing the dumb game. I mean, the game was meant to be played. We like to saddle ourselves on comparisons to either the course and what is the ideal or other players. Gutty golf is all about what the score is at the end of the round, not what you were on an individual hole. So if you get an eight, yeah, I mean, that's not probably a great score. However, you get a four on the next hole, and that's miraculous.
0: A 12 for the two is not too bad, (laughs) It's the truth. So there's
1: there's kind of a romantic – thing about gutty Golf that I love. Yeah. Now, the other thing I love is I love the beginning and the end of every story. So when you see me, you know, tweeting about something on Twitter, like The Lido, I think is a good example. It's a great story because it has a miraculous beginning and a tragic ending. And I I like the bookends. I like anything that has a bookend like that. I'm immediately drawn to.
0: So if it comes full circle, is, you're into it. There's a conclusion. Yeah, we can yeah, move to uh, the next you know, chapter.
1: Absolutely. I think there's a great tweet I put out there that got like 10 likes, which always makes me cry, uh, which was the one time that George C. Thomas collaborated with Alistair McKenzie in California. It was on Fox Hills Country Club. They built mm-hmm. three, six holes. Uh, McKenzie was the consulting architect. And today it is homes and a shopping mall. Oh, and God. I told this little story in a very short thread. And I thought, you know, it's one of those things where you do it and you're like, this is an amazingly sad story. <laughs> people will want to read this. I get 10 likes. And I'm like, yeah, I deserve,
0: uh, that. <laughs> maybe I deserve this, that. Maybe I this can like push it a little bit. Send me the link. I'll put the <laughs> link in the show notes so people can go and have a look at that. <laughs> uh, and, I'm not that worried about it. And uh, pump it up a bit. That was from Dan Pollitt on Facebook. Good. Dan, if you're interested in my answer, I'm not really sure. I, I feel like when I think about the game historically, I tend to lean towards professional golf uh, and that that being the, the sort of the public face of the game and I, I do like the steel shafted persimmonary right up until the mid to late 90s. I feel like the balance between course architect and player was about right for most of that period and I think we saw some of the most exciting golf and of course that's where all the golf got televised too. We started to televise it and so there's more to be able to see so there's a natural recency bias but Yeah, I think I probably find that the most interesting in terms of of what unfolded in the game. Uh, Connor, a lot gets made of the President of the United States playing golf. Who was the first President who played golf? Who was the most influential? And who was the best? That's from Sam Hampton on Facebook. Wow, there's some uh, big questions in there. Good luck.
1: Yeah, Sam. Uh, Well, the first was William Howard Taft. Uh, That one's an easy one to answer. He took up the game – And he did so without the blessing of uh, his uh, president. He was vice president at the time, who was uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt apparently tried uh, swinging a golf club, maybe in the front lawn of the White House. And he thought it was a non-manly endeavor. (laughs) Uh, I mean, here's a guy who's like hunting tigers and lions and bears, you know, going to war and, you know. Uh, he was a masculine man. He got shot in the chest. By the way, Theodore Roosevelt, while giving a speech, uh, the bullet was lodged in his chest. Was he was saved by the fact that when he was in Ordor, he spoke for way too long, much like our podcast, apparently. And uh, his, his notes, his notes for his speech, were like folded over twice in his left breast pocket. And it stopped it was the so bullet. Thick that it slowed the bullet. No, it didn't stop it. it his bullet was lodged in his chest. And Theodore Roosevelt was giving this speech, gets shot in the chest, keeps going, (laughs) Rips open his shirt, right, to show this bloody chest. And he goes, not even a bullet can kill a bull moose. And this is when he was running against Taft, right? And I think Woodrow Wilson won that election based on a split uh, vote of the Republican Party between uh, Taft and and Roosevelt. So there you go, a little uh, society of political history there.
0: Wow. Fantastic. Um, So Taft was the first.
1: I am a huge lover of Roosevelt, Mm -hmm. and I I, I let that pass. So Taft was also our our, uh, heaviest, I guess you'd say fattest, but he was our largest president. Mm -hmm. He weighed well over, I think, 320 pounds. It was said, I believe I have some articles in American Golfer uh, that say that when he set up for his ball, he couldn't see it. That's how (laughs) big of a man (laughs) Right. Yeah. so, so okay. he had to work around some things yep. um, but he was a lover of the game and really er, I think every president after him almost played the game
0: because mm-hmm. of
1: Taft uh, so your second question was who was the most influential Yeah. Uh, you could argue Taft for that reason but I, I think it's a runaway and partially good partially bad and that's Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower made golf popular Along with Arnold Palmer, perhaps their friendship. Uh, But he also did some things that you could argue in the United States were detrimental to the game. And can you guess what that is,
0: Rod? Was he well? He was he a member at Augusta National? I think he was certainly a guest there. He was frequently, obviously. Did that work against him or not? I I can't. Wasn't he in charge of the public works program? Or am I getting mixed up with another president? No, that that would be uh, FDR. FDR, FDR. my my mistake, sorry.
1: But. Now the biggest issue with Eisenhower, if we were going to point a finger of blame, would the, be the proficiency of using a golf cart. Oh. He was a huge proponent in fast rounds, uh, much like uh, George Bush, senior, mm-hmm. uh, who basically ran through his rounds. But uh, he thought that this new... Technology, if you will, the golf cart would speed up play, and he was trying to, you know, hurry because obviously he had presidential duties, and because of that, it really popularized the use of golf carts all over the America. And now, I would I would argue that it's mm. been such a detriment to the game that very few of us enjoy the game it, the way it was meant to
0: be played. Yep. I'd, so, um,
1: and a downside.
0: Yeah. Well, he wouldn't have known it at the time, obviously, and probably anyway. No. Uh, interesting. And who was the best? Who's the best? golfing president, Trump no, could probably make a Trump, case, can't he? Trump
1: would tell you that. Trump mm-hmm. would tell
0: you that. He's uh, clearly a decent golfer. You've only got to watch him swing. Though. I mean, he's no yeah, two-marker no, like no, he claims, but he, he's a yeah. decent 10-marker, isn't he? He's got some clubhead speed, yeah, and it, he can hit it. He
1: says he's a single-digit, but know, I think yeah, I'm going to go with um, a president who didn't play too many days while president. Uh, I'm going to give that to um, John F. Kennedy. Jeff, okay. John F. Kennedy was a natural athlete. Uh, supposedly a single-digit handicapper, Um, and I don't think there would be any dispute about uh, the mulligan that may have come about in uh, a book most recently written about
0: President Trump. I'm not getting
1: into that, but just saying. (laughs) You you kind of just did, didn't you?
0: You can't can't say, I'm not going to talk about this and then name that. If we're going to play
1: the politics of this, I I named two Republicans and one Democrat. I think that's pretty good. I'm
0: a bull moose
1: party members so <laughs> I played
0: the party lines yeah fair <laughs> enough uh good stuff uh just a couple to go how do you find all the historical golf stories that you share on twitter and facebook and do you have a favorite I don't know whether he means whether you've got a favorite out of twitter or facebook or whether you've got a favorite story or place where you find them but that's interesting how do you find I you wander around in that world I guess and trip over them you tell us how do you find all the historical stuff that you share
1: I would say that 50 percent of them Maybe a little bit more, sixty seventy percent, just come from things I know. So, what happens is I, I'll know of. I don't want to name any things because we're going to do some podcasts on them. But uh, like the stolen major, that's a good one, or
0: uh, the champion who lost his
1: mind, which uh, that podcast will be released whenever we finish
0: it. Um, and when Connor says "we," he means he. I've done my bit.
1: <laughs> I need to. I need to look. I need to listen to the <laughs> yes. edits. All right, so that's on me. Um, so. Then what I do is I know the story, I know the backstory, I know how to research. I'm very good at that, and then I dig into the story, and so I can tell it in a compelling form, hopefully under 20 tweets in a thread. The other stories, remarkably enough, are complete accidents. I I probably research golf history three to four hours a night. Wow! And I I know it's insane. And whether it's three, you be through a book or or through old archives of magazines or newspapers, I'll trip against you know across some strange fact. Like uh, for Garden City, I just had a tweet on the first great American golf club, and that was Garden City. And I came across a uh, a newspaper article that talked about it being a public course when it first opened. And I was like, oh wow, that's news to me. And so I did you know deep 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 dive into the history and came up with. Old maps from you know thirty years before the course was built, and the whole history of how it came to be in the city of Garden City and through the Stewart family and these connections into um, you know all different facets of golf and how it related to the national golf links and it really leads to something like that, but it really comes into I love to deep do these deep dives into history and more often than I I would say four times a week I come across something that I didn't know, which backs up. In, there was a golf chat. I think it's hashtag golf chat, giving them a shout out. I think it's every Wednesday night. They had a whole episode on history, and someone asked me uh, a scale from 1 to 10 – how much do you know about golf history? So they asked everybody in the chat. There were a bunch of people saying like seven and eight and five. Oh, really? And it, it was my <laughs> turn. It was my turn. And I was yeah. like, wow. two? I said, I said, I think I said like a two.
0: Yeah. Maybe. One and a, a half, maybe.
1: <laughs> and, then, and then there, you know, it's funny. Cause then the conversation was like, well, if you're a three, I'm a zero. <laughs> it's just that if I'm discovering new things, four new things a week, it just shows you, like, I think I know quite a bit, but there's there's an infinite amount of things that I'll never know. Yeah, And that's exactly. why it's great to have people on our podcast, like Sid Matthew, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to have... Uh, um, uh, the USGA will be joining us here this month, uh, the director of the museum, um, and other folks that are just great historians that yeah. will be able to... Uh, Dr. Tony Parker, that's what I'm searching for in my head. Um, just some great historians that know more or different things than i do which is exciting to me because i get to learn yeah. and that's what i enjoy the
0: most it's funny isn't it history is definitely one of those topics where you start out and you learn a bit you think you know a lot and the further you go on the more you understand how much you don't know for exactly the reasons you've outlined you know you, it's quite yeah. uh, the more you learn the more you realize that there's so much to learn that you could never get there i suppose the game's been going for, what 600 years how, who can yeah, possibly yeah. be across 600 years of history, of a, of a game that's made up of people and characters and the amazing stories of players and administrators and courses and architects. There's so many areas to it. Club makers and there's just – it's endless, isn't it? You, 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 it there will nice. never come a time when we'll go, well, that's it for the Talking Golf History podcast. We've done it all. <laughs> it's, just, it's never going to happen, is it? Well, it can't.
1: You know, Rod, it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I – I, have done 5,500 tweets so far in eight months or whatever it is. And there's <laughs> stupid times where I'm like, I've got nothing to tweet about. I've, I mean, there's, you know, I can't think of anything. And then I have like 50 things in the next yeah. hour. And I'm yeah, like, that's right. I've okay, a I need call. to space these out because this needs to come out during the U.S. Open or it's lost. Yeah. So yep. well, it's always surprising. That's
0: right. P- pick a topic. Let's do golf clubs and balls equipment. Uh, let's think yeah. about the majors. Let's think about tournament golf. Let's think about players. Let's think about, yeah, the, let's think about golf course architects. Let's think. Let's think about agronomy. Every single one of those areas has a whole range of fascinating stories to tell. Uh, yeah. And as you just start to dig in and before you Nine know stories. it, you'll be lost. Yeah, exactly right. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Um, so, yes, history. We're into history. We like it. Uh, last one. Uh, just before we do the last one, so the two questions we're not going to get to, one from Brandon Horvath on Twitter, and we do thank you, Brandon, uh, but it's a big question too big for uh to fit into this episode Connor how do you think current understanding of strokes gained has been affected by golf course architecture how do you think golf course architects in the future will try to alter defend attack to force players to do something different well that noise you heard was a can of worms opening Brandon so I'm putting that lid uh-huh. back on for the moment and we'll come to that in another that episode and the other one was uh, one bearded golfer's question about the uh, the military course because there's some homework required there but I quite like this one to finish up on because this is, this is a nice one and sort of tells us a bit about you you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you're going to be on the Golf Channel, what's the show about and when is it on? That's from Jenna Shorver. And here's something. Jenna's our first question from a lady this time around. Girls, get into golf history. It's fantastic. Tune in. If you're a woman, you play golf, to get your friends on board. It's fantastic. We don't do enough to welcome women into golf. We're tr- Everyone's trying to – generationally, I think we're trying to change that. The game is better when more women are involved. So, Jenna? I'm assuming Jenna's a well. There you go. I've just made a fatal error. I'm assuming Jenna's a woman, which is no guarantee. If you are Jenna, uh, and you've got some other friends who play golf who are women, get them to come and listen to the podcast and ask more questions. So, you're going to be on the Golf Channel, Connor. What's yep. the show about? When's it on?
1: Yeah, I think I can tell everyone. So I, I don't hope so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no kidding. I don't have the definitive date yet. I just talked to the producer of the uh, golf channel. It's going to be on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, of PGA Championship week, which is next week. It's going to be on the morning drive. It's roughly a seven-minute segment, and it's going to be about something. What I, I don't know if it was one of my first original tweets, but you know, I joined uh, Twitter August twenty eighteen. And it was last year, so it probably went November, December, The Lost Legend of Lido. So it's about um, Charles Blair MacDonald and Seth Rayner's miraculous eighth wonder of the world, um, the Lido Club, which was built in 1914 and ceased operation in 1942. Uh, the Golf Channel asked uh, me to uh, come on and do a show about the Lido based on you know that tweet. And I worked with uh, Jim, my co-host for this, Jim Urbina, on this seven-minute segment. And I will tell you, I have seen it. Uh, Rod, you've seen it, too. I let you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think it, the producer, editor, um, the cameraman, all those guys that were involved, the sound guys were so great. And the job they did on this thing is unbelievably good. Um, I, I, you know, Listen, I don't want to over-promote this thing, but it, I'll tell you when it is. Check it out. You give me your feedback. But... It's really cool to see something that I thought was very cool from a history standpoint make a mass media like the Golf Channel. And it's humbling, it's amazing um and I don't know, it's just it's 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 overwhelming to me that it's going to air and hopefully people will love it and know a little bit more about this
0: lost golf course. It's Such an extraordinary show. There's a couple of things I'll say first. Firstly, uh, their their video and editing skills are vastly superior to the effort that you put up when you walked around the course with your iPhone hitting shots here and there. They've done it. The production is truly amazing, and I fully recommend that anybody would watch it. Two, do I need to be jealous about this co-host? Who's this Urbina? What's going on there?
1: So, Chip... Jim Urbina (laughs) is a golf course architect. Um, As a matter of fact, I think we're going to – we've talked about this a little bit. I think we're going to have him on our show Mm -hmm. to do a follow-up on the Lido because obviously it's a seven-minute piece, which covers a lot of material. But I think it would be very interesting to have Jim and I talk about the Lido um, on the podcast and go into a deeper dive. The other person I need to give a shout-out to, by the way, is Peter Flory. Peter Flory is a genius in his own sort. So Peter has done a 3D virtual rendering of the Lido Club based on the Plastine model and photographs of Lido, and so he does this amazing flyover of the course of the holes we're talking about while the you know we're narrating, and it is you saw this right? It's yeah, amazing. It's amazing. Right? I mean, the, truly the, the amazing. The graphics in that yeah. is absolutely spectacular. So his job on that is. Overwhelmingly, I, I, it's shocking how good it is.
0: It's kind of the making of it, is like it, 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 it. It puts visually something that you could otherwise only imagine. And standing there and imagining it is one thing. And you can see from watching yeah. the footage yourself. And Jim is standing there, and you can you can feel it. You can see it. You can imagine it on the screen. That's difficult to do. When they overlay. Some of those graphics yeah. over there, just extraordinary, so just incredible. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Uh, so couldn't agree more. when
1: that comes out next week, I'll mm-hmm. have a new Twitter line that will go with it that will actually take, show you photographs I took while we were there. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I spent a lot of time uh, matching up the photographs so you can see the before and the after. You can look at the photos from you know, 1919 which in the, when the course was in premier shape. And I do an overlay with what the course looks like now. Well, oh, fabulous! Like, so yeah. there's a beach. There are homes. There is a high school built wow. on what was this golf course, and it's you really <laughs> get a full picture of what it is now. It's amazing. Oh, I think it's very cool. It's
0: just awful. It's awful, isn't it? In so many ways, it's, it uh, is.
1: I, I mean, I listen. I get emotional when it comes to golf sometimes. And there was a moment when I was talking to the crew um, when we they were doing the interview segment and. I don't think it made air, but I got—I did get a little teary-eyed when I was talking about because it, it's this eighth wonder of the world. I mean, you have to understand that those two gentlemen built that golf course from the sea. Yep. It was the first ever golf course built from nothing, dredged out of the Reynolds Channel. The sand was built uh, thirty feet up, and when you think about it now, and it's just—it's sad. And as a matter of fact, not to get off topic, but. I, I went knocking on some doors because that's the weirdo I am after the film crew <laughs> left. Yeah. And I asked, I asked this gentleman who lived in the house. Um, I should remember his name. It escapes me right now. If I could come into his house. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I, know, I said, I knocked on the door and I was like, Excuse me, sir. Feel free to say no. This is going to sound psychotic. That's literally how I opened. And he goes, I, You know, I, I knocked on the right door. He was like, I like where this is going. Yeah. I'm like, okay,
0: then go, you're thinking, something? oh, hang on a minute. Did I knock on the right door here? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be chopped up and right.
1: by, for firewood. Um, but I asked him, I was like, listen, you have a three-story house. I would very much like <laughs> to get permission to go up to your third story and take a photo out your window. And he said, yeah, why? And I go, well, I don't know if you know this, but your course lives on what was considered at the time the greatest golf course ever built. And your house actually sits on, I'd say, the middle of McKinsey's famous Lido Hole.
0: The 18th. Yeah, which was the
1: first ever golf Wasn't hole it? designed yeah, by, by McKinsey in the United States, mm. the 18th hole. And so I wanted an aerial, kind of a panoramic of the whole, you know, that showed the hotel in the background. And he let me in. And in exchange, uh we kind of walked the hole and i told him the history of the course and he had no idea no, and i he took me over to a neighbor and i told him the story and he had no idea and so yeah they were really kind of overwhelmed that they lived basically on mckenzie's hole wow at this you know f- one of the most famous golf courses ever built i blue so to <laughs> me that was kind of like I'm, I'm glad i knocked on that door yeah
0: so h- guy. how much was the bile and when is the hearing yeah, no kidding. There were,
1: Jesus, <laughs> gone, gone, gone that Are you?
0: Cr- I know. Are you nuts?
1: And, and I'm going to be fair. I and we'll get in. Jim wasn't there for this
0: either because I. Well, no, because Jim's sensible and intelligent.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I told the film crew Brendan, who's the producer, I was like, Brendan, if you want, I'll go knock on the <laughs> doors, and see if we can film from their house. And he just looked at me like,
0: No. Uh, okay, no. you've you've and now I, lost I'm it like, officially, and that's the end of that.
1: I, know, I told him like, Listen, I'm going to do it anyway, so. What's the worst they're going to do is say no. That's what yeah. I, you know. So Shoot they you. left, and then I went call I the went, police. on doors.
0: It's <laughs> yeah. all sorts of things. Oh dear. You know, gotta, gotta love your commitment uh, if not your common sense. Gotta love your commitment.
1: I am quite, I, I am quite charming when I need to be, <laughs> and that's what gets me through life.
0: Well, let's just face it. Clearly, you've dodged a bullet there in the literal sense. I'd suggest to you, so uh, congratulations for that, Connor. You did a poll on Twitter earlier this week, uh, and overwhelmingly, people voted that they think the show should be at about an hour long. Guess how long it's been going for? Hour and a half. One hour and one minute. Whoa! How Perfect, that? and we've just got through all of our questions. Aside from those two that we're going to answer another time, though. I believe both might be episodes yeah, in their right, own I right, believe- frankly. Yep.
1: I believe we had one listener that called everybody out yeah. for not wanting a three-hour episode. Yeah, so indeed. there was like one outlier.
0: Yeah, and that and that person will be getting the call up to be the co-host at some point in the, fu- <laughs> in the future. So uh, good luck to them. Connor, let's wrap it up there. Uh, been fantastic to talk to you today. It always is fantastic. Remind people where they can find you, me, us, and the Facebook page.
1: Yes, on Twitter you're going to find Rod at, at @Rod_Mori. Mm-hmm. You'll find me at, at @S_Historians, and on Facebook you can reach us at the Society of Golf Historians.
0: And don't so forget, just
1: to- link up. Has yep. to be invited to the page. I'll let you in,
0: promise. And interact, people. It's, this is what we want this to be. Interactive. I've really enjoyed this, Connor. I really liked the concept when we first discussed it, and I've really enjoyed doing the show. There's a nice wide range of questions, and we move from one topic to another. It makes you think. Yeah. Fantastic. So thank you, big thank you to all of those listeners who sent their questions in. Uh, that's it for Episode 9 of the Talking Golf History Podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes for links to the – Uh, email address and all those twitter feeds and facebook pages we'll be back to do it all again in two weeks time i can't remember what we're talking about then connor but i know that you're all over it so let's keep it a surprise for the listeners thanks for your time today mate really enjoyed it
1: thank you and thank you mom and dad for listening and everyone else in (laughs) podcast land
0: and thank you to my mom as well (laughs) episode nine in the books talk to you next time on the talking golf history podcast